and welcome to new and returning podcast listeners. This is the JLL Investors Perspectives Podcast. I'm Art Patnode, your host, joining you from my home in Singapore, which last week announced its plans to further reopen the economy. Up for discussion today, cross-border investment, and specifically how the pandemic will influence Japan's place as a destination for international capital. I'm joined by Stuart Crow, CEO, Capital Markets in Asia Pacific at JLL, who is also based in Singapore, and Ken Nagishi, Head of Capital Markets in Japan at JLL, who's speaking to us from Tokyo. Welcome both. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Art. Interesting time to talk about Japanese market. Yes, indeed. Now, as I understand, Japan's experienced ups and downs during the pandemic, but the consensus is that the real estate market's going to be one of the quicker ones to recover. Now, this is interesting to me because behind it, of course, is something we talk a lot about on this podcast. That's the over $40 billion in dry powder waiting to be deployed in the region. So, Stuart, I wanted to kickstart the conversation with you by asking perhaps the broadest question first. Will global investors continue to allocate capital to Asia-Pacific, which would really just maintain their strategies before COVID? Asia was the first region to feel the full impact of COVID-19. And as we've seen, the result in investment volumes were down further than other parts of the world. In the first quarter, volumes in Asia-Pacific dropped around about 26% year on year. And in the second quarter, we're expecting a further decline, probably closer to 50%, if not slightly more. But the broad direction of rising allocations to direct real estate, uh, but also increasing allocations to Asia Pacific is continuing. And many global investors remain significantly under allocated to the region. And there does remain a a lot of capital that is sitting on the sidelines. The pace of cross-border activity will continue both into Asia and within Asia itself. Uh, And we do feel that the region's growth potential and the transaction volume will likely outpace the other parts of the world in the second half of 2020. You know, and deals are starting to come back. While it'll take time for investors to get closing deals in real momentum, once the travel restrictions are lifted and bid-ask spreads are, are starting to, to narrow already, uh, we think that we'll see those transaction volumes uh, pick back up, and again, largely driven by a lot of cross-border activity. You know, it's really interesting. You hear this a lot that these trends that were happening before COVID are set to continue or even accelerate despite everything that's already happened this year. Now, we're talking about Japan today. Not all markets in this region will recover at the same pace. We know this. You know, there's even possibilities for social unrest and uh, political uh, upheaval and changes to policies. Does this uncertainty benefit more established markets like Japan? Yeah, uh, you're right. It it feels that there's a lot for investors to digest at present. And to that extent, what we're hearing from a lot of investors is that there there will be a return to safe haven locations around the world, and and Japan fits that bill. And it fits that bill for for a number of different reasons. One is it has a very defensive currency, which is attractive. It has a a very stable political environment. And on a pure real estate side, there's been very low vacancy rates in nearly all of these sectors in Japan for some time now. And I think most importantly over recent times that investors in Japan have had a very positive experience as it relates to the collection of rent where unlike uh, other markets globally, even in the retail sector in Japan, uh, during the months of March, April and May, the collection of rent from tenants has remained in the in the high 90%, which by global standards has been amazing. So 
it's a market that has very deep domestic liquidity. It has abundance of debt. And those things alone will contribute what we feel will be a much softer landing for Japan than other markets globally and indeed in, in Asia Pacific. But at the same time, there's, there's opportunities for investors and perhaps more than there has been previously. We're seeing the increasing availability of stock from corporate sale and leasebacks and from some of the, the Japan REITs that are, that are selling assets. And we're seeing investors now starting to explore some of the more emerging asset classes. So in summary, we're anticipating global investors to uh, increase allocations to Japan. We see them very much attracted to some of the emerging asset classes of data centers, logistics, and multifamily. Ken, turning to you, Stuart raises an interesting point here to go back to on underinvestment. Is it still fair to say that international investors are underinvested in Japan? Yep. Compared to the other large markets, answer is yes. And there are several reasons for that. Uh, traditionally, large real estate assets were owned by large Japanese corporates who like to do deals with partners who have built a long-lasting relationship. And this is true for the way banks lend money. They feel comfortable lending to somebody they know for many decades, even at a very cheap price, rather than financing to international investors who just enter the market. But this has changed over past decade. There are many local asset managers who can provide market data for investors to make decisions and also provide property management reports in English. But having said that, still 20% of total volume are traded by international investors. And I strongly feel that this is coming up. For example, in the past, uh, international investors mainly look at the Tokyo market and offices there and residential there. But now people are looking at other markets such as Osaka and Fukuoka. So we're witnessing a lot more international people coming to Japan. And I truly feel that, that there'll be more investment done in Japan. It's interesting you say that, although I feel like I need to understand something better you touched on there. What is it that's held global investors back from increasing their exposure to Japan? Pricing has usually been the main challenge faced by investors as well as tight supply in Tokyo as the economy restarts. And majority of investors indicated that they would actively invest new assets if there is a price adjustment. Pointing to the solid fundamentals of the market, many investors also stressed they would actively invest in new assets at the price before the outbreak of coronavirus if the quality of the property was high. So this tells us that both domestic and international investors have the same drivers. However, we are seeing offshore investors willing to look beyond Tokyo, as I mentioned. And this is not a new development, but interest has been accelerating. Fukuoka, Osaka have been more frequent topics these days. And it also tells us that investors are looking through a more diverse lens when looking into increased exposure to Japan. So if the price is right, fundamental question, of course, what sectors would you expect to generate the most cross-border interest? Okay, so... When international investors look at Japan, uh, they see Japan as a safe haven, and they see this is a place for a core investment market. Uh, for that, um, they are looking for stable cash flow. So typically, office is one of the uh, sectors that provides a very stable cash flow in Japan. If you look at the vacancy rate for offices in Tokyo and Osaka, office in CBD Tokyo, is a vacancy is less than 1%, and Osaka is less than point. 5%. And even in COVID-19 outbreak, this uh, rate hasn't really come up yet. 
So this gives a lot of investor comfort that the cash flow will continue to be very stable from office. So we hear a lot of investors are still very keen to invest in office. And that is also true for residential properties. From the rest of the world, maybe the multifamily is some new product or alternative asset class. But in Japan, this is an asset class that people have invested for many, many decades. So this is for Japanese, a very traditional asset class. So people learn from experience that residential property generates a very stable cash flow. That's why people are very comfortable investing into Japanese uh, residential market. And people are keen is the logistic or industrial section. Because of the e-commerce, we know that um, logistic will, will provide a very stable cash flow. And demand in the market to have more logistic facility is increasing day by day. Another uh, sector is a data center. Data center market is still small in Japan, but each day we are getting a lot of inquiry from data centers and, and more and more new operators and developers from the world is coming into Japan seeing opportunity to do business in the data center section. Stuart, I just want to get your perspective on this. To increase exposure to a market like Japan, a large country, do you expect investors are going to look more at localized strategies or, say, deploy via funds? Well, I think we've seen different ways uh, pre-COVID for people to get access, and, and it's a market um, through advisors or, or otherwise that people can fly in and fly out to get deals done. But perhaps more than other markets in Asia-Pacific, it is a market that uh, does benefit from uh, a higher level of on-the-ground um, expertise and, and access to deals. Um, it's a relatively opaque market, and so I think to originate uh, deals, uh, people have benefited from having access on the ground. And I think going forward, um, even further, to understand the impact of some of the secular trends and how they're impacting uh, Japan will be important. And uh, and I think, yeah, these cultural nuances of how particularly occupiers are using real estate is, is very relevant and different from market to market, as we talked about. You know, for example, we feel that uh, and what we're seeing from some of our occupier clients is that work from home as a concept may not be as widely accepted in Japan and that will have maybe a different uh, impact on the office market in a positive way than other markets. So it's a market where many investors have had an established presence. Um, others are building out their own capabilities and, and looking to to partner or acquire platforms, but some will work through funds or joint ventures, uh, particularly for killer strategies and multifamily, as Ken talked about, is, is an example of that. Uh, data centers is another. So where they've got operational um, expertise on the ground, that's going to be important. People are, are really looking to invest in industry and sector expertise and, and particularly to get access to deals. In the short term, at least, the inability to travel will have an impact and maybe people will revert back to investing um, not just in funds, but uh, maybe different structures such as debt and or joint ventures as, as a alternative. Uh, final question for both of you and something that I know everybody wants to know. When will we start to see deals in Japan? And what kind of volumes should we be expecting? Okay, well, that's a great question. In the short term, the impact of COVID-19 on the real estate market is expected to be low than in the global financial crisis. We're expecting that the transaction volume for the whole 2020 will be less than 3 trillion yen, which 25% decrease from the previous year. But historically, 
this isn't the biggest chop we saw in the market. You know, in the past, uh, right after global financial crisis and in 2011, that's when we had great East Japan earthquake and we had a huge hit back then. So this is not our first time to have this kind of experience. And already we are seeing some rebound. We are seeing some deals starting to happen. For example, some mid-sized offices in Tokyo are now out in the market. And what we are seeing is that many investors are showing strong interest. So that is a sign of rebound. And once that the people will be able to fly in from outside of Japan, we think this momentum will even get stronger. Yeah, I agree with Ken that I think Japan will be one of the least impacted markets in Asia Pacific and probably will emerge as one of the more attractive investment destinations, particularly for cross-border capital in the second half of 2020. Global investors have, have long desired greater exposure to Japan and with some slight price correction possibly and a little bit of dislocation in the market, uh, we see that they there will be a greater opportunity for investors. It won't be as straightforward as, um, as just a you know, people looking to invest in Japan or, or Japan offices, but uh, we do think things like uh, multifamily and logistics will emerge as even a uh, larger asset classes in terms of trading volumes uh, than some of the traditional asset classes uh, over the next 12 to 18 months. So momentum is already building. There's already deals that are happening. Our clients are active on the ground and some of these deals will start to get announced. And, and in terms of volumes, we see that momentum will really gather pace towards the, the latter half of 2020. Stuart and Ken, many thanks for the discussion today. Sounds like investors from around the world are going to be tracking these developments in Japan pretty closely, you know, looking for that right time and the right price. And thank you to all of our listeners today. We would welcome your feedback on the views shared here and hope you'll join us on the next podcast. Music